Fellas, good evening, Mets fans, and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. It's episode 106 here on PGE. Sam Lebowitz and Jack Hendon wishing you a very happy first night of Hanukkah to those who may be celebrating. The both of us are. I lit my first candle with my family. Jack, did you um, light up the menorah as well? In spirit, yes, I did, in spirit. In... I, yeah, I live alone, okay. so it's it's uh, I don't it's sick 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 uh, living with your family brag. Well, <laughs> my dad listens to this podcast, so I won't voice any opinions there about wanting to move out. Uh, that's cool. That's fine. Uh, it's a Mets podcast, not a Hanukkah podcast. This is not a Hanukkah podcast. If you're looking for Maccabee content, look elsewhere. Uh, but for tonight, this December the 18th. There are some Mets things to talk about, uh, some signings that have been made official, some former Mets that are suiting up elsewhere, uh, some potential Mets targets that are suiting up elsewhere, and uh, a couple of new Mets in tow and in, in some interesting ramifications of one Mets move that we will dive into uh, a little bit later. Before we talk the Carlos Correa of it all, which is something we want to talk about uh tonight and the omar narvaez of it all which is that thing i was alluding to that has interesting ramifications that we want to talk about kodai sanga is a new york met that's right uh they did it they they got the the cool japanese ace that we wanted who we've been talking about for weeks we figured it was going to happen it happened it's official now and we're very very pleased uh, that he's a Met. He's in New York right now. He posted some photos at City Field. He spelled City wrong uh, in the caption. He's very adorable, is what I've garnered so far um, from like the two days or the 24 hours or so of it being official. Uh, he's very cute. Yeah. His his uh, his Twitter bio says that he likes manga, um, which is nice. And baseball. I yes. like manga hashtag baseball. Yes. Um, uh, he was asking fans what uniform number he should wear, and I he he already gets the joke. Uh, he said forty eight is not an option with like a laughing emoji um, at er- every fan who was suggesting he takes Jacob Degrom's number. This is this is fun. I like him. Yeah. He's cool. He's probably gonna get Cindergard's number. Cause he, you think so? Yeah, he asked for thirty. He well, the choices what were they? They're thirty four, forty, and forty six. I think and like. 34 at least last i checked on the poll that was doing the best um that's noah's number noah signed with the dodgers uh we don't have to go into that a whole lot i just think it's it is all very funny um yeah the dodgers are having themselves a very wilponian offseason everyone's having a wilponian offseason except for the mets i would say yeah yeah i guess well i mean there are some teams that are actually like going for like the Giants spent some money. Obviously, they wound up with Correa, and the Yankees have actually turned out to have a pretty nice offseason after re-signing Judge. They they marked uh, Carlos Rodon earlier this week, but yeah, I mean the Dodgers. We don't have to dive too much into this because it's not a Dodgers podcast. But like between Thor and uh, JD Martinez this week, as like those are very Wilponian signings is like past their prime probably in decline in some form or another for whatever reason in thor's case it's been injuries 
in JD's case, injuries play a factor, but he's also in his mid thirties at this point, like two former stars, uh, and really not doing a whole lot else. And then like the fact that they're like really marketing these two moves, like they did like a hype video for Noah Syndergaard. Yeah. And I think, I think someone already made this joke on Twitter that like every strikeout, like they must've included every single one of his strikeouts from this past season in that hype video. Cause he didn't have many. No, he, he didn't. I mean, and what you're going to bring the thunder at like 92 miles. Listen, the Dodgers are smart. They might be able to add things to Noah's fastball. I mean, they turned Andrew Heaney into a pretty good pitcher in the time that he had there. Like, and JD Martinez might be someone that they can get results out of too. Like I don't actually subscribe to the idea that the Dodgers are going to be significantly worse next season. Uh, But I think between what they're doing and kind of what the Red Sox are doing, it, there's this question of how these big market teams with what we know is a lot of money are sort of deferring to like the the thrifty, you know, spend savvy uh, or I guess in this case, like analytics savvy decisions where you sort of save some money, but, uh, you know, you remain competitive. I just I don't know where that I'm not familiar with that kind of team. Uh, and it's it's jarring. There's like a there's like a historic level of we trieds happening around mm-hmm. the sport this off season. It feels like these like after a player signs these agent side leaks in which a reporter tweets out something to the effect of, Oh, so-and-so's team was actually really interested in signing this player that signed with a different team. Uh, they just could match up on the contracts or whatever. Like there's a lot of that happening. Well, that it play is like also a- about us with Correa. So yeah, I I suppose so, but I think Checkmate. it was it was different with Correa and the Mets because I mean this article that John Heyman wrote that came out yesterday that detailed that two hours pretty much in which Steve Cohen was going to do everything in his power to make Carlos Correa a Met. Um, and apparently the baseball world actually believed him for for a hot second. Um. I think that's like that's like not necessarily a we tried because a we tried to me is like, hey, we tried to sign this player, but we didn't actually try. Right. Uh, well, the quote like, also one of the quotes in the article is Steve saying we're always trying. Um, you know, we are trying, and I I think that yeah, it's it's definitely different. I was sort of being a smart ass about that, but. Uh, I like I, I I understand where you're coming from on it. I will say as 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 nice as it is that the Giants were able to like get Carlos Correa for their interests as a team spending money, like are they are they landing Correa and also looking at Justin Verlander and Brandon Nimmo, right? Like it's it I think it still stands that what the Mets are doing this offseason is particularly like unlike what any other team is doing in the Senga news, especially that news coming like almost mere hours after they announced Nimmo coming back, right? These two things happening at once. And then this Correa bombshell landing on us um, Tuesday night, or I guess maybe it was Wednesday morning because Correa signed Tuesday night, whatever. Um, it's like, there he's like he's really i'm not i'm not like a i don't know i i will always be careful calling the guy uncle stevie but like this is probably the time in the in the regime where you start referring to him as uncle stevie if you ever have like 
he's doing things really differently and it's really refreshing uh for the sport at large yeah i i guess while we're here we should uh we'll talk sanga in a moment because we're we're pretty deep down this career rabbit hole already like yeah i I mean i agree with you it's hard for me to be like oh uncle stevie because i find that rather for lack of a better term cringy like Mm. cringe is dead but that's pretty cringe like uh the whole propping up you know of financial criminal billionaire type guy well you're 22 and i'm 23 and some of these people are like 35 and 36 right like you're adults yeah there's different i I don't know ideologies that are in play here with opinions on whether we want to call uh him uncle stevie he's not not your uncle he he's not your uncle he's a financial criminal it's cool but uh it is fun when the financial criminal makes uh my baseball team better like this, this is uh, <laughs> this is the the part of this. This is the part that's fun, is when the Mets do make a move, like literally the last time we recorded was was Nimmo and David Robertson breaking while we were in the middle of recording the episode, which was fun. If you haven't listened to that, you should go back and listen to that one. That was episode one hundred five about five minutes into the episode, those yeah. that news broke and completely changed the, the entirety of the episode. That was a lot of fun. But like every time the Mets do something, it's, it's like, Oh, okay. Here's another big money move. Like Sanga's another example where it's like, this is probably the finishing touch, right? Like this is probably the last big move of the off season for this team, right? Like this is the last big money free agent. Mm-hmm. This is the last significant contract they're adding. Yeah, we finished Everything the else. rotation. We kept our bat. We did it. Let's go. Next yeah. season. Right. And then Wrong. and then oh what's this? Yeah. They don't think they're done yet. They're willing to spend more money. Not just spend more money. Like we're not talking about eight million guaranteed to Omar Narvaez right now. Like we're talking about thirty million dollars that they were very willing to guarantee to Carlos Correa for this year or whatever the AAV wound up being. But uh, Steve was willing to shell out another $300 million contract. There. Yeah. Um, that was apparently the offer for Correa. Like every time this Mets team does something that indicates to us that maybe they're going to start slowing down, they don't slow down and they keep trying to add, which yeah. is so mind numbingly refreshing as a Mets fan. Like, we've endured so much for this. It's also at the same time, like, whiplash. Because I don't even know what to do with all of this positivity and the emotions of it all. I don't I don't know where to take it. Well, they got to win, you know? Like, that's yeah. what the there's, – there's a whole world out ahead of us when the season starts, right, where we're going to have to, you know, basically wait and see if this team is the team that – finishes the job as opposed to the 2022 team which they also spent a lot of money putting together um i'll give you some numbers uh on the subject of of you know just how much they're putting out there so their active payroll night right now uh with senga coming aboard with omar narvaez coming aboard um that's 354 million dollars um that's quite a bit over the uh the luxury tax threshold um to say the least. It's also quite a bit above the Steve Cohen tax threshold. There's about $84 million here in penalties that they need to pay. So the total outlay of money right now 
is $438 million. And I'm telling you all of this on the heels of them almost giving $300 million to Carlos Correa. Like they were that close to, to completely blowing the rest of the league out of the water. That would have been a payroll that you would have, you could have combined the bottom half of baseball payrolls and it would not have rivaled what they had had if they pulled off the Correa thing. Um, now that's not to say that any of this is a loss because they don't get Correa, right? The team is still great. They wanted Correa at third base. Uh, they'll just have to settle for, for Brett Beatty or, um, you know, who knows, maybe they'll, they'll really try and pull together something. I know Justin Turner just went to the Red Sox. So like that's off the table. Um, but maybe they're going to save up for a Rafael Devers trade, right? Or a Shohei Otani trade, perhaps, uh, again, we'll get to this all in a minute. Cause a lot of this has to do with prospects, but, um, you know, there was another quote in the post in this article that I really, really like chuckled at. Uh, so like I said before, Correa would have gotten about 20 million AAV, 23 million. Um, at this rate, every dollar that, that, that Steve Cohen's spending above luxury tax, he gets taxed 90% of it. So if he were to pay $23 million for Correa, he'd also have to pay $20 million on top of that. So it's a $43 million commitment, um, you know, 20 cents on the dollar, if you will. That's exactly how Steve Cohen refers to it in this article. He says it's only another 20 cents. You either pay it or you don't. Um, again, like just completely unfazed by the concept of having to spend money to win. Um, and in this case, it's, it's, it's like, like we just, you know, alluded to, it's not even to win. It's to have as good a chance as you did last year, um, of winning because one hundred two games, people will still write you off. If you go out in the first round, they'll ask you what you're going to do differently. They're going to ask what you've done for the fan base lately. And this is, uh. This is what it looks like when you do a lot for the fan base. So yeah, it's New York sports, like you mentioned, like you just said. It's it's a very it's the it's that mentality. It's the what have you done for me lately mentality in this particular town, and Steve, I think, is very cognizant of that, and I think very very willing to do things that no other owner in baseball will do. He's made that very clear to everyone who has paid attention even slightly this offseason because, I mean, you saw the video, I'm sure, that was floating around the internet of the Blue Jays fans that were live streaming when, at the same time as us recording, when Nimmo and Robertson broke to the Mets. Did you see this? No. They were screaming. They were like, this is unfair. How can they keep doing this? How can they keep spending money? It was so... As a Mets fan, it was so funny. But that is how the 29 other teams in baseball are, are like looking at the Mets right now. Yeah. And we're, we're for once, we're on the right side of this. Yeah. Like it is so entertaining to see these other teams play cheap and complain about us. Like they're doing both. They're like, feel like if you want to complain, whatever, complain. Because again, this is historic levels of spending. This is already a major league baseball record in payroll, even if you don't tack on the tax money on top of it. Yeah. Like no team has ever broken a $350, $350 million payroll. I don't think any team has ever broken a $300 million payroll. And if they have, you could probably count them on one hand. Uh, but these other teams, you know, whatever, complain if you want to complain at the end of the day, you're not doing this. You're not 
most teams are not trying very hard to begin with. Yeah. Like, there are... I think the Mets... Right now, their luxury tax penalties... And I'm sure it's more now that they've added Senga and Narvaez, so those tax penalties are even higher now. But before those signings, I think there were that alone, the penalties that were at that point, I guess, amounted to what was it, sixty something million dollars? Uh, they were already it was that alone was higher than I think four teams in terms of payroll. Yeah, it was like Oakland, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Miami. I think. Yeah, Miami. Although they're um, you see, they just signed Garrett Hampson to a minor yeah, new deal. Job. New so, John Birdie just dropped. Yeah, new annoying slap hitter just dropped. But um, yeah, that that puts them over the payroll. I'm pretty sure. Just kidding, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, well, it also I think right fan bases. I think the reaction now, if you're a rival fan base, is to cope. Uh, it's to, it's you know, it's it's phase, it's stage one of I think it's it's denial and it's anger and it's um, frustration that another team is just able to boat race you like this but hopefully with time what's going to happen is other teams are going to sell to owners that think the same way that steve cohen thinks and that will inevitably it's going to grow the game because players are going to get paid a lot more money there's going to be a lot more money going around um it's i think one of the nice things about it is that the mets are sort of at the forefront of this right now where um if you're not spending money you're going to get left behind um if the Giants hadn't gotten Correa, the Mets would have been there to swoop in and the Dodgers still would have lost Cur- you know, they would have lost that sweepstake to like a team that will compete with them for a pennant, no doubt. Um, these are things that really do matter in the in the I think greater scheme of what happens to Major League Baseball. Um they made a lot more money last year than they did the year before. They're actually like a very quickly growing company. Um and yeah. Honestly, the Mets are the fastest growing team in that business right now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's what did Steve buy this team for? It was one point four billion dollars, I think. Was it only that much? I thought it was above two. I thought it was might have been more. I can check. Whatever it was, whatever it was. The the weird, the crazy thing about this for Steve, who is, you know, even pre Mets, obviously extremely wealthy, like the ninety seventh richest person in in the world or something to that effect, but he spent a billion, two billion, whatever it was on a baseball, 2.4 billion, 2.4. Yeah. And since buying the baseball team, since shelling out $2.4 billion, he's made more money. I think his net worth has grown. Yeah. The Mets have become much more valuable, partially because of the sale you get sold for $2.4 billion. That's going to help the valuation of the organization. Mm-hmm. But they put out a hundred win, hundred one win team that helps make some more money, put butts in seats, sell more merchandise, uh, whatever. You make more money by being a better team. We know this; that's how it works. And Steve is also are still involved in all of his other ventures. Like he's still making money away from the Mets. Like he's yeah. he's making money hand over fist. He probably took in more than four hundred some odd million dollars in the last calendar year. Uh, so I don't think he cares all that much. And if he really is starting to have trouble finding ways to pay for this stuff, he could just liquidate some of the art that he's got. He could liquidate one of the houses that he's got because he's got all this stuff, which, at you know, it's part of the value of what he's worth, but 
if he's looking for cash, he's got all these things that he could probably do away with that he probably doesn't want to do away with. But if he's really that strapped and he wants to buy a fancy new baseball player, he can because he's Steve Cohen. And he can do that, which is wild. And the yeah. fact is, the fact of this conversation that we're having right now, talking about how silly the Mets are this offseason, not silly in a bad way, but just silly in, in a it makes you laugh kind of way. Like, we're talking about Carlos Correa, and they didn't even sign him. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't mean to go all Joker here for a minute, but like it's about sending a message. Yeah, the fact that they were even in on him and willing to shell out a contract that he was probably, you know, probably worth at the end of the day. Like if if he didn't if he didn't get three fifty on the table from the Giants, if no one was going to offer him three fifty and the Mets were there offering him three hundred, he probably takes that. Yeah, no, it, so, it's it's it's, it's great because. It establishes, I think, what the Mets' bit is going to be relative to other teams, um, right? Like, I think about in the early 2012s when Stan Caston and Magic Johnson bought the Dodgers, there was a clear emphasis on improving the farm system and spending a lot of money at the same time. And that was their bit. And they did this... For the next couple of years because, you know, they were simultaneously signing guys like Zach Greinke and calling up players like Corey Seager, right? Um, the Rays, their bit is developing great players, uh, hanging on to them until they get ex- too expensive, and then trading them to the Pirates for more talent. And, you know, you see this with Chris Archer, right, where they got Tyler Glass now and Shane Boz and Austin Meadows and it's a gift that keeps on giving, right? Austin Meadows becomes Isaac Paredes. Like, it just keeps going like that. Um, and, you know, Tyler Glasnow will turn into something else for them. That's their bit. The Mets' bit right now is to basically outspend everybody, take in whatever tax they need to take in because they can afford to pay it. And while that's happening, they're peppering away at fixing other aspects of their development system, which also costs money. Um that's sort of something that the Mets are doing that like no other team would do. And I mentioned the Correa thing at, you know, the first hand about uh, how the giants got him, but they weren't simultaneously in on like these, these three other huge free agents, like the Mets were like, it's there. They lurk everywhere. They really are everywhere. Um, yeah, some like teams like the Padres try with everyone and they don't get them, the, but the Mets get them. Giants have done a little bit of that too this offseason with, sure. with Judge. Like Correa was a backup plan to Judge, whatever. But no, I, I'm with you. I mean, that's, I guess, the important line of demarcation between an owner like Steve Cohen and an owner like Artie Moreno, who owns the Angels mm. and is allegedly in the process of selling that team, which he probably should have God knows how long ago. Can't the do line of demarcation. Enough. What's up? Can't do it fast enough. Sorry can't do it fast enough apparently it's going slowly but also they think it's going to happen before opening day who knows uh the line of demarcation the difference between those two owners both very wealthy men both men who have already shown in their time owning baseball teams cohen a short amount of time moreno a much longer amount of time that they're willing to sign big money free agents to large contracts the difference between them is that is the only thing Moreno is willing to do to spend his money on. Like he will spend money on Josh Hamilton and Albert Pools and CJ Wilson, but the Angels R and D and the Angels scouting and developing uh, departments are not up to snuff. Haven't been up to snuff. Have not really improved much under his watch because 
you ask Billy Epler this, I'm sure that he'll give you a long-winded answer off the record because he's just not going to talk about his former boss in public. But uh, Billy Epler could tell you, yeah, Artie Moreno didn't really give me much rope to improve the angels behind the scenes. Steve Cohen is giving as much rope as necessary to that. Look at the things the Mets have done behind the scenes that we've talked about on this podcast already this offseason with the changes to the pitching development and the hitting development departments with Eric Yeager's on the pitching side. And uh, his name is escaping me right now, but the guy they brought in from the Cardinals on the Jeff hitting Albert. side. Jeff Albert, right. Like these are significant moves that are going to impact the results on the field. Maybe not quite as much in 2023, but certainly they're going to start impacting the team in 2023. And they're going to impact the team more and more with each ensuing year following 2023. I came into this offseason thinking the 2023 Mets were not going to be as good as the 2024 Mets. That's not true anymore because the Mets have filled pretty much every hole that they had coming into this offseason. I didn't think they were going to be able to do that with the the top talent on the market, and they have done it. They replaced DeGrom. They replaced Bassett. They replaced Taiwan Walker effectively. The rotation is completely shored up. There is depth behind them uh, and probably more depth on the way as more guys start coming off the board with minor league contracts, like you mentioned John Birdie tonight with the Marlins, like more deals along those lines are going to happen. I'm sure the Mets are going to try to bring in at least one more Eliezer Hernandez type. They'd be stupid not to. Uh, the only thing that really needs some more work is the bullpen, which probably they do wind up adding at least one, maybe two more arms. I would have liked to see Trevor May come back because he did finish the season strong, but good luck to him trying to work his his stock back up in Oakland this year. I'm actually really happy for the guy because he's now the highest paid player on a on a team. That's wild. You know? Um, no, but I, I, I really did want Trevor May back. I think the bullpen is definitely like, the piece right now that is in the most it could go any which way like I feel like the rotation is pretty much a done deal although it might not be right so I mean yeah just roping it back into Senga now I guess um because he's great he's I think he is also a lot more like Chris Bassett than people recognize like Bassett didn't really like throw that hard and um wasn't necessarily a huge strikeout guy but um and Senga has those things but Bassett's gift was that he had like six different pitches he could throw at you uh Senga has three other pitches aside from that fork ball and the 102 mile per hour fastball like he has things going for him that could render him like on a lot of teams an ace uh we've talked about this at length so I won't belabor the point Sam I know you you might have things to add on Senga um more more generally uh but like yeah i don't i i don't see a lot of the similarities between him and bassett in terms of who they are as a pitcher beyond the fact that they've got arsenals i mean i think he's a lot better than bassett i'm just saying like people could be a lot better than bassett i mean we got to give chris chris bassett some some credit here sure uh he's a really good ad for for the blue jays he should be totally fine there as long as he doesn't you know as long as age doesn't hit him uh, particularly hard he'll he'll be great like you look at guys over the last I, I guess really since Bassett established himself last three four seasons he's right there he's like top 20 in, in earn run average like Chris Bassett's a really good pitcher and we got to give Chris Bassett credit for that and Kodai Senga has not pitched a major league inning yet so there's a level of unknown in comparing the two but 
like ceiling here in terms of who Kodai Senga is as a pitcher. I don't know if he'll be a one. I think he certainly could be a two if this works out well for the Mets. Maybe he could even be a, a frontline rotation guy. He was great at run prevention, great at striking guys out. He was great, and I mean great at keeping the ball in the ballpark when he was in Japan. So uh, the walks can be a bit troublesome at times, and we got to see how that changes with the, the different baseball at the big league level here. Yeah. But you look at the pitcher you're getting here with the repertoire, with the velocity, with that splitter, fork ball, ghost ball, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and you're basically looking at a guy who, if he translates well, if he's an effective major league pitcher, if he's a mid to frontline rotation guy, is like Shohei Otani the pitcher. Yep. Like that's who you're effectively getting here. And I, I don't mean to compare the two Japanese pitchers as some people often do when it comes to countrymen like that coming from uh, the East. But like, you look at the repertoire, the velocity, the secondary pitch, the splitter for both of them. It, there's some similarities. Otani's uh, sometimes he's dealt with some control issues too, but he generally keeps the ball in the ballpark too. He's got high strikeout rates. Like that's kind of what we're looking at here. Is that if he's at the top of his game as a pitcher, you're looking at who Otani has been when he's been a healthy pitcher. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, I, I mean, listen, I guess we do see Chris Bassett kind of differently. And I try not to let, uh, the last two games that Chris Bassett pitched as a Met color my, my view of the guy. Cause I think he'll be very good with the blue Jays. Um, I think that was a good pickup for them. Uh, I do think also it, there is something to be said of, of the team, like getting younger, um, or at least the rotation getting younger. And this is this does help them get younger to some extent. I mean, they didn't really get younger anywhere else. Um, I guess they might, right? There's the question of what happens with David Peterson, if he's really going to be a depth guy or if he's the guy they go with at five and, and Carlos Carrasco goes somewhere. Apparently, they're trying to move him in trades. Uh, I don't really get that. I don't either. Personally. I don't think it's going to happen either but just because the the possible targets that you could like – players you would get back in a trade, the teams that would be willing to take Carrasco and the things they have to offer are not really, they don't really fit what the Mets are going for. Like, I don't think the White Sox are going to give you Liam Hendricks for Carlos Carrasco. Um, and that's yeah. kind of the only player that I would, that I look at who's like eligible in a trade right now, really, and think of, and I'm like, oh, okay, I'd love to get him. I'd give Carrasco up for him. Like, I'm not giving up Carrasco for like, you know, Hunter Dozier. Um, I'm not giving him up for, you know, like Gregory Soto or, or, or some relievers about to get expensive. I know you like Soto. I'm not, I'm not as high on Soto. He's um, kind of gross sometimes. I, sometimes. I just feel like with, I just feel like with Carrasco, you're looking, so the body of work is like good. He had a decent year, maybe some signs of regression. And by maybe, I mean, there are some signs of regression, but and really, first of all, to go off on a mini side tangent here, how crazy it is beginning of the offseason when they were debating about picking up his option. Remember how we were talking about, yeah, the, the, there's really no one else in the rotation right now, so they kind of have to. Yeah. And now he's pretty expendable, it seems like, almost, if they right. could find a, a trade partner. Um, but, I mean, yeah, there's some signs of regression. He's getting into his mid-30s. There's been health issues uh, for much of his career in the last couple of years, too, as a Met. Uh so you just kind of wonder maybe you should trade him, right? Because right. the effectiveness might take a dip. However, it also might not. 
he's a, a quality professional pitcher. The pitches still generally uh, do what they're supposed to do. And he did have a pretty solid year overall for the Mets this year. The option that they picked up was $14 million, which in this pitching market, pretty cheap. Um, really not the high end of, of AAVs that are going around for pitchers probably in his tier. I mean, Jose Quintana, maybe a pitcher around his type of tier and got roughly the same amount of money. So uh, he's getting paid probably what he's worth in this pitching market. Um, so other teams might look at that and say, could be valuable to us, but with so many teams not really spending a whole lot, could also be a situation in which teams say, even that, for one year of an aging pitcher, maybe a little too much on the expensive side for us. Right, and then there's the question of what do the Mets get back? Like you said, yeah. is there anything that's really worth getting back for a pitcher who is, again, getting older and might be regressing in Carlos Carrasco? Like, what do you actually get back for a pitcher like that beyond salary relief? Like, you know, guys sometimes get dealt in situations like this as a salary dump. And we've already talked about, we spent 20 minutes of this podcast already talking about, money is not a factor for the Mets. Yeah, they're, they're, not not... Trying to, they're not trying to save $14 million anywhere. Nobody's going is... because they're too expensive. Right. Like, this is not a player you have to get rid of on the merit that they're too expensive for who they are as a player. Like, that is just not a factor here. That is not a factor whatsoever here. $14 million is pennies for Steve Cohen in terms of this payroll as it is right now. It is a non-factor. His payroll, his salary is a non-factor. And if the Mets are trading him to the Orioles for Terran Vavra or whatever, probably honestly too good of a prospect to get back in the Carlos Carrasco trade anyways, like if you're trading him to the Orioles or the White Sox, the Tigers to get rid of his salary, it's just, that's asinine based on the approach to the payroll this entire offseason. Yeah. So I say, keep him. If he's ineffective, you just dump him. Yeah. You get rid of him. Yeah. If he's ineffective, if it's May and he's running an ERA over six or over five or whatever the line in the sand is for how you make this decision, you have David Peterson. You definitely probably shouldn't trade David Peterson. Like You need a, a solid sixth option if you're running a vague question mark as your five guy here in Carlos Carrasco. So, like, it's a pretty easy switch out here. Whether yeah. you DFA Carrasco or you release him straight up or you demote him to a, a long-relief mop-up duty role. Yeah, you can totally do that, too. Like, that's that's the other thing here is you have, like, you still kind of have a depth problem, right? Like, you shouldn't be dropping anybody. You shouldn't be trading David Peterson to accommodate Carrasco, even. Um, like, no one should really be going right now. I think there's yeah. another thing to be said. We've talked Peterson about still has options. Yeah. Yeah. Peterson has options anyway. Um, but you know, more, more, I think big picture, like teams are not going to want to trade with you when you have this much money. Uh, it's going to be very hard for you in the middle of a season to get another team, especially when you don't really have a farm system right now, uh, to give you someone that you need. Certainly not on the pitching side. Right, right. Like, you're not going to win any trades. I mean, look, if the Otani trade happens in July, that's great. That's awesome. But also, like, it's certainly not happening till July. Any opportunity you have to just sign guys who are hanging out on the market and all you have to do is give them money, you should just do that. And you shouldn't get rid of anybody, really, in unless you have 
that great of a surplus, which we have not crossed. We have not gotten to that bridge yet. We certainly, you know, we surely shouldn't be like trying to cross it yet. Um, I say keep, I say keep him even, and it's got nothing to do with like how good I think he can or cannot be. It's, it's simply about what happens when you no longer have, cause look, you don't have Trevor May anymore. You don't have Joely Rodriguez anymore. You've replaced those two guys, or I guess, right, maybe D-Rob is like the Ottavino replacement. Rayleigh's the Rodriguez replacement. You still have a lot of things in your bullpen that you're trying to figure out. The back end of the rotation and what happens there, you have no Trevor Williams right now. Um, Carlos Carrasco could be a Trevor Williams. Tyler McGill could be a Trevor Williams. Like, you should really have any of these guys, like, as options, as long as they're in your organization, I think. Um, yeah, I, I think the only trade scenario in which I'd be like pretty down for it is if they do the you know time honored tradition of attaching a halfway decent prospect to you know a player that you're just trying to get rid of and getting something good back. Like if if they could somehow attach Mark Vientos to Carlos Carrasco because I don't think Mark Vientos has much of a role on this team, and nor do I think he's a very good baseball player at the major league level. Um, but if you could find a team that's, you know, not the smartest maybe, uh, who would be like, all right, sure, you know, we're looking to fill up some spots, uh, and we want pitching help, and we want um, a young bat who we can, you know, try out. Um, here, give here's an exp- a, a reliever who's good and starting to get expensive. Like, it, that's the only thing that I could I could see. Like, the Pirates... Like if they're willing to listen on David Bednar in that scenario, something like that. Yeah, potentially. I, I'm still like, I don't know. Why not just sign someone who's better than Bednar? Is there, I mean, Ottavino is like the only guy really, right? I guess. Yeah. I guess that's the other thing, right? Is there is something to be said about if the relievers who are available are better than the best remaining free agent relievers. They should probably just sign Adam Ottavino. <laughs> yeah, they should. That's something that has sort of been up in the air for a while now because he hasn't signed anywhere. And, like, yeah, a lot of these guys have. I mean, Kimbrell's still there, but, like, I think the jury is mostly out on him in terms of whether he can still be good. Um, no, I think he's cooked. We've definitely done this many times over this offseason where we just scroll through the list. Um, it's, yeah, it's like, I mean, there's Michael Fulmer. Uh, who I'm intrigued by, but yeah, a lot of, look, a lot of names have, have come off the board getting D Rob. I didn't really realize at the time why it was so important, but like, that's a big part of why it was important is because you don't have that many other, uh, other guys hanging around. Um, so yeah. Yeah. D Rob was significant. I agree with you on that because things, things really have the last couple weeks, since the start of the winter meetings, a lot of names have flown off the board. Yeah. And really, the trade market hasn't really uh, happened much. Like, there hasn't been any big, big trades. Well, there was the Sean Murphy, William Contreras. Oh, right, right, right. That, that also happened this week. That was uh, weird. Yeah. That was a weird one. I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, I guess Murphy is really good. Uh, at least def- defensively, that's a, he's a guarantee. And... Um, we could use this to hop into the next conversation. That's true. I, I because I think it remains. It, it's important to note here uh, in this three-team trade. Always fun when we get a three-team trade. By the way, yeah. the Brewers made off pretty 
pretty damn well here. Yeah. Uh, they got. They had no business one... being in that deal, and they came out the best team. Right. Yeah. And they they got a decent reliever from the A's. They gave up a prospect whose carrying tool is speed and nothing else in Esteri Ruiz, who they got in the Josh Hader trade. Uh, <laughs> guy, Esteri Ruiz, by the way, I believe he was he had like the worst exit velocities. Yeah, I told someone. I told someone when I looked at his exit velos because it literally ranked like at the bottom, and I saw it's like he averaged like seventy six off the bat. That's like what I averaged in high school. Like the carrying tool is very much the speed. Yeah, he's really fast, but there's uh, there's not much. he could play some defense in the outfield. There's not a ton there, but like he's very A's. Like he's he's the A's saying maybe we try it again with Christian Pache, but different this time. Um, yeah. Okay, basically, not only did the Brewers really not give up a prospect that some people in baseball, myself included, are very high on, I'm not keen on speed as a carrying tool in general, uh, and they got back Joel Piamps, uh, who's a, a decent right-handed reliever. They also got from the Braves, William Contreras, who had a damn good year for the Braves as a part-time, most of the time, not all the time player both a catcher and DH option, a catcher who can hit for power at pretty much the same rate, maybe even more than Sean Murphy. Murphy's a better defensive catcher, but the Brewers are getting him back. And you look at a catcher who had uh, a history of being a not-so-great defensive catcher, but had a decent enough bat to carry him, who was acquired by the Brewers and then turned into one of the premier framers in baseball while he was in Milwaukee is Omar Narvaez. Yeah. Who's a Met. Who's a Met now, who they signed this week to a one-year contract with a player option, so probably a two-year contract. When it's all said and done, player options usually get picked up. But how about that for a segue? Yeah. William Contreras, newest Milwaukee Brewer. Maybe they fix his catching. Maybe he becomes like a really amazing catcher. Uh, now that he's in Milwaukee, the Brewers catching lab strikes again, perhaps. As anytime, it did. Look, look, anytime you can get someone who David Stearns thought was could be good and then helped make kind of good, you have to do it. Yeah, I, I mean, when look, the, I like the, the facts don't lie. That's part of the timeline here. Yeah, I was confused at first uh, as to why they were signing Narvaez, right? Um because he had a real bad year. He had a real bad year. 300 plate appearances. He had no PS under 600. But not a Brewers fan. Uh, didn't pay attention to the Brewers a ton this year. I'll be honest with you. They are still the Brewers. I wasn't aware of the whole story here. I kind of It kind of had flown over, under my radar that he had turned into such a good defensive catcher, right? And to be honest... I wasn't aware of the good start he had to the season, nor was I aware of the injuries really that plagued him through much of the season after he had a decent start and affected his production, whatever. His prior season, his last healthy season, was good. He was an all-star. His numbers turned out at the end of the day league average. So what we're looking at here is a... Guy who's got like a lifetime 757 60 OPS against right handed pitching. He's a left handed hitter. He's 
one of the best framers in baseball. I think he's top five in framing runs over the last since he got to Milwaukee uh, in baseball. And it's a cheap contract, and it also gives the Mets even more of an excuse, not that they didn't need one in the first place, to uh, dump James McCann. This so, is the part where you tell Omar Narvaez, I have to apologize to you. I wasn't familiar with your game. Yes, do the Shaq thing. Yeah. I, I straight up wasn't. I mean, honestly, I let my, my instincts get the best of me in this one, and uh, I'm, like, fine with it now. I think it's got a chance to – he's got a decent chance to be a pretty good, you know, uh, bounce-back player. And uh, if he could play defense and be passable offensively uh, as a long-slide platoon guy, then sure. It does, however, raise one question. Uh, you haven't really given your thoughts yet, but there's that there's that uh, Francisco Alvarez-sized question yeah. here. So, like, kind of short but yet. very wide question. Yeah, like fire hydrant-shaped. Yeah. Uh, SEC fullback is what uh, Fangraphs has compared him to. Yeah. it's So, when, when I saw the Narvaez thing, like, the first thought I had was, this is their second attempt at James McCann. Like, this is in a perfect scenario. Um, he is what the Mets probably wanted James McCann to be in the second half last season when it was abundantly clear that, like, the guy wasn't really an everyday player anymore, couldn't hit like a starter anymore. Uh, you have a guy who can still frame pretty well, even if he doesn't get up and throw very quickly um, and has some pop in his bat, has, like, some potential to get on base, right? That's what this deal is. I don't think uh, this is something that effectively pushes Francisco Alvarez out of the equation as a catcher this year. Um, Cause I still think that Alvarez has the potential if maybe not this year, but sometime down the line to get better on defense. Um, I don't think it's the end of that, right? Like I don't think that this means that Alvarez will only DH this year, but this is a pretty good insurance option to have behind Tomas Nito as like a defensive catcher that you can put in the game if you're not so sure what you're going to get out of Alvarez. So that's the answer to the Francisco Alvarez size question. Uh, I'm not sure it is. Well, it's the, it's the answer that works in the scenario where, where Alvarez is here, I think. Because there's a chance that this makes him a little bit more expendable. Also not fully in agreement with you. I think there's more to it. Okay. I think that, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, he did have fairly significant ankle surgery recently, yeah. right, to correct that. He's a 21-year-old. That's a significant lower body injury, which for a catcher is something just to keep an eye on. Lower body injuries for catchers, for position players in general, you want to avoid them if you can. Uh, because it, it hurts athleticism, it hurts ability to bounce back day to day, whatever. So lower body injuries, not good. If the Mets, for whatever reason, think perhaps he's not going to be at full health through spring training, maybe he's going to be behind a little bit, maybe he's going to be injured until April, May, what have you, if he's not going to be ready to contribute to the Major League team until midway, partially way through the season, I think Narvaez makes 
a lot more sense. Not saying I know anything here about Alvarez, whatever. Uh, I mean, and Andy Martino did, in one of his tweets rationalizing this move, did mention Alvarez's health as kind of a side note, but he mentioned other things as well uh, in regard to this top prospect. But there's more to it than just that, right? Like, when we're trying to get um, real galaxy brain here, the the NBA reporter... Um, Windhurst. Windhurst, Brian Windhurst. Yep. Why... I'm putting my fingers up like him right now. Why would they Why would they sign Omar Narvaez? They have friend, the top catching prospect in baseball. Why, why would they would do they that? Why would they sign Omar Narvaez? So if we want to get galaxy brain for a minute right here... Yes, obviously it makes Francisco Alvarez more expendable. There are question marks with Francisco Alvarez, and it would be silly to pretend there's not. He is a great prospect. He hits the tar out of the baseball. He's 21 years old. He's already a big leaguer. When he, If he's going to be a big leaguer on opening day, that remains to be seen. That's also part of the equation here. Maybe the Mets just need to see a little bit more out of him uh, in the minor leagues in AAA before they're ready to bring him up to the major league level for good. Maybe he starts in AAA. That's also not out of the realm of possibility here. You go with a straight Narvaez and Tomas Needle platoon uh, to start the season. When Alvarez is, you know, mashed in AAA long enough, you say, all right, come come up, kid, and contribute. Uh, but he is a, he's a question mark in and of himself. Like, he is a type of prospect where you have to tread carefully with. The size concerns, the body concerns have always been something to just note about him i do not think that they necessarily hold him back as a professional not at this point in his life in his career uh but they are part of the question mark um the the health i already talked about the ankle i think that that also adds to him being a question mark his general lack of quality defense as a catcher also him being a question mark at times and 21 year olds they've got you know young prospects they have bust risk maybe he just doesn't hit at the major league level it happens sometimes yeah so if the Mets have put themselves in a position where if he becomes a bust or if they think he could become a bust they're not necessarily maimed by that at the major league level right like they have catching insurance now in narvaez if alvarez is not the starting catcher by june 30th uh and that's just a random date i plucked out of my head like if he's not the starting catcher by midway through the season you have insurance for that now yeah like if that is something you're banking on you don't necessarily have to bank on that now if alvarez is not proven he can be the starting catcher even by next season you still have Narvaez for another year. You have this insurance net behind Alvarez now if he can't establish himself as a catcher. It also, you know, given the question marks, given that insurance network behind him, if there's a trade to be made, and I think there's one player who is possibly available in trades that is worth a prospect of Alvarez's nature. Do not think it's Rafael Devers. I love Devers. I think he's a great player. I think Alvarez is a little too much for Devers. I think that Devers is not quite in that tier. I think there's one player that's in that tier of 
yes, they should trade Alvarez for him right now if hmm. that is an option. And it is Shohei Otani. Yeah. It is. So there there we go. We get Galaxy Brain for a second. Whether the Mets are not convinced that he's going to be injured or uh, healthy to contribute enough early parts of the season, whether the Mets think that maybe he needs to be in AAA to start the season and therefore won't be able to contribute, so you need more catching at the major league level to start the season, or whether the Mets think they're going to be able to trade Alvarez some point soon. Yeah. Those are our options here, really. I wonder how easily you can sell this, though, as like, we still have faith. I guess it is sort of, you do kind of put your foot in both camps in a, in a Narvaez deal, right? Because Narvaez isn't inherently going to be a starting catcher at any rate or really a regular catcher at any rate. Um, so you don't need to, like, I think if they had signed Christian Vasquez or Wilson Contreras, right, it would have been a much more obvious indictment of Alvarez's future with the team. And it would have made it harder for the Mets to trade him because suddenly it's not, this is our guy of the future. We can't get rid of him. It's, oh, well, you know, we're just not so sure about him. I think this sort of creates a nice gray area potentially. But at the same time, there are definitely, maybe not the Angels because the Mets are pretty much the only team I, I think that are going to engage this sort of thing with the Angels anyway because, like, most people are just going to wait for, you know, I, I mean, I don't know where I'm really going with that, but, like, I don't know if any other teams are as in the hunt to keep and to get and extend Otani as the Mets as the Mets are. I can answer that for you right now. You know, from what I've heard, uh, basically the industry views Otani as uh, whether it's through trade or in a year's time in free agency. Uh, the baseball industry generally uses it as a two horse race at this moment in time. Yeah. Uh, and that is the Mets and the Dodgers. Hmm. So, however that develops, that remains to be seen. Uh, but that is the general perception across baseball is it probably winds up being one of those two teams. And that is not a – like I've never – I don't think the Dodgers have ever publicly expressed interest, certainly not through any kinds of leaks the way that it's been with the Mets. It's clear that – Steve Cohen covets Shohei Otani. That much is obvious. The team side leaks, the the team mouthpieces, whatever the SNY reporter is saying, uh, that the Mets don't want to shell out these giant contracts, but Shohei Otani, if there's a deal to be made there, would be an exception to that, or things of that nature. You know, um, it's pretty clear that Steve's got a big, you know, on his calendar for. 2023 in October when the World Series ends he's got Shohei Otani and Red Marker circled on his calendar like that's pretty apparent to me that this guy has got a shrine to Shohei um, <laughs> in his office like that's pretty apparent to me yeah. so there there's your answer I guess it's a two two team race the general perception is um, at this exact moment in time this sets up this sets up pretty well though I guess for a for an Alvarez Otani kind of deal. I mean, I wonder if Beatty also goes in it. Um, I don't know. We have time to we have time to like 
like cultivate this this sort of meme that we're developing it's not really a meme like we will speak it into existence i think it really will happen that shohei otani becomes a met especially like if the mets i'll tell you this if the mets don't go to the world series this year shohei otani is going to be a met oh he will make it happen every year that they don't every year that they do some crazy shit that makes themselves look like the yankees and then they don't win Steve Cohen's only going to sink more money into that. He's he's kind of like relentless with the whole thing. Um, to go back to the article, I mean, he said yeah. in the article, he's like, I made a promise to Mets fans that I want to bring home a World Series within my, what was it, first five years here? And I mm-hmm. understand that it takes money to do that. So I'm sinking money into this venture. We're going into I, year three of that uh, that promise, I guess, right? Yeah, I and I'm with you there. I think... Honestly, you can make the argument that it's no matter what happens. If they do win the World Series this year, what's stopping him from saying, I want to win another one? I think it's a guarantee if they don't win that Otani comes to the Mets. I think that it's very it's very foreseeable it's, that he comes to the Mets anyway. But like, if they, It's ultimately up to Shohei Otani, right? But If Steve Cohen gets pissed off, Shohei Otani is the next thing that happens. Like We're looking at a guy who's going to get, unless he has just a terrible year this year which i don't think anyone sees happening he's a guy that is going to get a record contract i mean we've never seen anything like this we've never seen a player of his caliber on both sides of the ball reach free agency uh we've never seen a player of his caliber period on both sides of the ball i mean we're looking at a guy who the contract he gets certainly that first number is going to start with a four and it may start with a five like we may be looking at a five hundred million dollar contract here, so and I, you just have to ask the question: Is which teams in baseball are going to be willing to spend that kind of money on a guy? Period. Point blank. Put that kind of commitment towards one player, and based on what Steve has done this off season, and to a lesser extent last off season, like he did spend a lot of money last off season too, but you look at the team on the field now with the moves he's made this offseason with the messaging that they've sent about spending either you know through Billy Epler in press conferences or however or through Steve himself in this John Heyman article in which Heyman literally got 30 second 30 minutes to talk to Steve on the phone and build an article from that tell me cancel culture is uh real when arson judge man gets 30 minutes with steve cohen tell me that there's justice in the world there's pretty pretty ridiculous access but good for john Heyman. won't believe anything he ever says about the mets ever again because we know it's exactly where it comes from probably but Mm -hmm. uh that's beside the point i mean the messaging we're getting from every level up the ladder including steve himself is that Steve doesn't have a problem giving the right player a $500 million contract. And if it's true that Steve really, truly does covet Shohei Otani, he's going to win a bidding war. That if it comes down to anything beyond Shohei genuinely, literally not wanting to play in New York, if that's the only thing that stops him from becoming a Met, then so be it. But barring that, I have a feeling... Uh, that Steve is going to do everything in his power to make Shohei a Met. I'm not going to put money down on it, you know? Like, I'm not going to make it a guarantee right now, but uh, it certainly seems like uh, the stars are aligning for this. The really uh, the, the, the biggest question in my mind right now is if 
there's a trade to be made before Shohei hits the market as a free agent. And that's remains to be seen. The Angels' messaging is that they don't want to trade Shohei Otani. They've said it outright publicly that they don't intend to trade Shohei Otani. That might be true. They've made some moves that do probably make them a better baseball team. Uh, but, I mean, if they're out of playoff contention in July, they have to trade them. Yeah. Well, it's a parallel to what the Nats had with Soto, too, where, like, if you're trying to sell your team, it's going to be harder to sell to people who don't want to be responsible for either extending or, you know, cutting the most the one of the most important things that's ever happened to your franchise. Um, They kind of there's a kind of a lot of pressure on the Angels to trade the guy. um, Or at least to wait out the year. Right. If 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 Artie Marino wants to be out of here by March. Shohei Otani probably needs to be gone before March. No ownership group is going to want to take him in uh, and take on that assignment unless, I mean, unless he sells to, you know, to people who are willing to extend the guy on the spot, which would be good for Shohei, not great for us. Um, there's, there's a lot of incentive for the Angels to get this thing off of their backs um, so that they can move forward. I agree with you. But I also don't think Artie Moreno wants to be that guy yeah. who trades Shohei Otani and then leaves, you know? I don't think he wants to be that guy. Yeah. So that's the only thing that trips me up because I, I certainly know whoever the new owners are who come into the Angels, they're also not going to be going to want to be the people who are yeah. responsible for Shohei Otani leaving effectively. You know, like they don't want to be those people either. So on both ends, it's going to be some kind of push and pull. Mm-hmm. Uh and if he isn't traded, he's leaving. I mean, the, he's pretty much telegraphed that he wants out of Anaheim, too. Like, he said this much to Japanese media. He's been saying it for months, really. Um, pretty much showing people that he's not really thrilled with the direction in Anaheim, and he's not thrilled with their inability to build a playoff team. This is why you signed like, no. Ben Verlander's brother. Sure. This is what this is. This was part of the plan, also, just dawning on me. But this is also part of it. Does he have like a French? Is he friends with Ben Verlander? Is that a thing? Oh well, Ben Verlander loves Shohei Otani. Do you not do you, do you not know about this? All right, so do I. I'd love Shohei Otani too. It doesn't make me the queen of the. No, game. no, no. It's 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 he like he has traveled to Japan and like basically gone around like Billy Eichner with the microphone asking people to talk about Shohei Otani. Like, he's obsessed with the guy. Um, oh, I'm not a big Ben Verlander content. Well, I never, said, look, I never said I was either. I'm not a content – I'm not a Ben Verlander content consumer either. I, but I – listen, I know what people uh, – what people say about him. And one of the things they say about him is that uh, he's Justin Verlander's brother. And something else that they say is that – really loves Shohei Otani. So people also say that Jolly Olive looks like Omar Narvaez. I don't really see that much either. Uh I I don't know. I kind of do. I mean for a baseball player, yeah, sure. You're not going to find many baseball players that look like reg, you know, like like us. Uh that's probably the closest baseball player comp. I don't know. There's plenty. Of, I mean, I I don't think there's any that really look like me, but there are certainly a lot of baseball players that just like look like dudes. You know. My uncle texted me during like the 2020 World Series. He texted me a picture of Ryan Yarbrough, and told me that I looked like him. Eh. I was like, no. He's he just has he just has brown hair and like 
that's it. That was it. I don't have a. I don't really have a comp. Um, I don't. I don't really either. But then again, I think I have a fairly unique looking. I have drawn comps to Jason Vargas actually. Uh, you don't look anything like Jason. Not no. Now I don't. But like during COVID, when I grew my hair out, it was. Uh, it, it it got there. Uh, oh, that's, that's the only thing though. That's kind of Dillip's thing too. Dillip likes to say that. I don't know if he really means it. Um, it's just it's just your hair though. Facially, you don't look anything like him. No, no, I don't think so. And I would never. I would never. Uh, I'd never talk to Tim Healy the way that uh, that man talked to him. <laughs> that's not my. Uh, that's not my thing. Are you? Uh, do you have any? Uh, any? Any other uh, thoughts on? The, the great James McCann or, or, uh, just get rid of him, man. Yeah. Just cut bait. I mean, they're, they're looking for trade partners. I thought maybe the pirates matched up decent. Um, but they just signed Austin hedges. So I think they're probably the better, card. maybe better, certain, probably better defensively. Uh, who, I don't, oh man, neither of them can hit at all. Really? You're going to have to beg someone to take him. You're going to have to attach a person to this contract, you know, to this deal to get the contract off your books. Just get the contract off your books and be over with it. You'd probably honestly better off just releasing the guy. Yeah. Pay him up front, you know, whatever. You sign him to the contract. Just let him go. It's Getting Narvaez makes it easier to do that, too. Really? Yes. That, that was also part of uh, what I was saying earlier is that it gives you an excuse not that you need one, but it gives you the excuse that you might be looking for to uh, cut bait on James McCann mm-hmm. and uh, let him, whatever, sign a minor league deal with the White Sox or I don't even know. Whatever. Long Island Duck. <laughs> James McCann, you are a Long Island Duck. I'd go to a Long Island Ducks game to watch James McCann. They're a hoop, he definitely right? would hit like 40 home runs in a season for them. Was it them who had Jordani Valdez being with yeah. the MVP or something? They had. There was one year where like they had him, and the manager was Wally Backman, and like I think Kirk Newenheis was their center fielder, uh, and they had like some other dude who used to play for the Mets on the team. It's it's basically just a it's a dumping ground for former New York baseball players, but they're like they always go there and like rip it up. Like they're always great. LJ Mazzilli, things yeah. of that nature. Yeah, LJ Mazzilli. Um, oh, man, I just had one and I forgot completely. Uh, God, this is TJ Rivera, Long Island. Oh, yeah. Great player. Great guy. You want to remember some guys? I think we should. Yeah. Why don't I just remember TJ Rivera? That's a move. You know? Good dude. TJ Rivera fun story right like yeah. came out of nowhere decently productive in 2016 became a fan favorite mm-hmm. almost instantly right from the bronx which is probably why he became a fan favorite yeah he's do you know how old he is now he's like probably like he was like 28 when they called him up he was not a kid he was 27 when he first came up. yeah so he's what that would make him 33 now He's he recently 34, about a month and a half ago. Yeah. Good for you. I mean, happy birthday, TJ Rivera. Happy belated. Happy birthday, TJ. TJ Rivera across two seasons as a New York Met, only 106 games combined. Yeah. 
guess his lifetime average. Never appeared in a big league game for another. I team. know what it is because I made the meme last week that had that said T.J. Rivera owns a career three oh six something. So close. Three oh eight. You went in the wrong direction. Four. Three oh four. All right, that's that's really good though for like. Like, I don't I mean, know. He, yeah, I mean, his half season in 2017 yeah. is, like, perfectly passable, slightly, ever so slightly above average, 103 OPS plus, 760 OPS, yeah. 290 average, 330 on base, 430 slugging, five homers, 13 doubles, 73 games, 231 plate appearances. Like, this is, like... Yeah, he definitely should have played elsewhere, right? Like, I know he got hurt, but... Like, right. Well, he got hurt at a very difficult juncture in your career to just, like, need Tommy John surgery like that. Yeah. And, and it took him a while to player. recover, I think. Like, the Mets... I think they kept yeah. him on the roster through, like, early 2019, and then they cut him. Um, he was really... Yeah, he was released in the beginning of spring training on March 9th, in 2019. Yeah. It's a shame, and... because I really wanted him to come back... Um and and yeah. get a chance. He, he did bounce around a little bit for a couple of years. I mean, he spent the last couple months in 2019 with the Nationals in in minor league uh play and and then yeah. he became a free agent signed with the Phillies. Um then the pandemic happened and he never played with the Phillies and then the Pirates brought him in and then the Phillies grabbed him from the Pirates and he just never broke back mm. into the majors. Uh, again, which is so it's, – uh, it's such a shame, really. I mean, it is such a shame. Yeah. Because uh, he always seemed like such a great guy. Yeah. I mean, to get the chance that he did get, though um, – I mean, look, it's – this isn't to delegitimize how unfortunate it was that he didn't actually get to go out on his own terms. But um, I do remember him, like, playing a pretty pivotal role – for that group of like 2016 Mets who like were all injured and he just oh, sort yeah. of came up out of, out of thin air. And like he raked, um, he hit in like big games. I think he started in the wild card game. If my memory serves correctly, he was the second baseman in that game. I think so too. He hit 333 in 33 games in 2016 OPS 821. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He played for Long Island in 2019, actually, mm -hmm. between the Mets releasing him and when the Nationals picked him up, and he played like 15 games for the Nationals double-A team at the very end of that season, but he hit 270 for the Long Island Ducks in 98 plate appearances. Pretty good. Slug, what was the slugging? For the Ducks, he slugged 427. Okay, that's 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 like a TJ Rivera slugging percentage, probably. Yeah. That's he, like, like wasn't very good for Long Island, but he well, was he was whatever. never gonna be a a starter like someone for, you know for the future for them. But like as a as a piece, he was really fun, and uh, that's a good guy to remember. Yeah, thank you for putting that out there and yeah. letting me remember him. You know, it's just uh, that's it's what I do. I I just spit names out. I just you know. Uh, Anyway, I'm about to ruin this uh, and remember Michael Conforto because I was going to do a bit about how I kind of want him back. I've talked myself into wanting Michael Conforto back, and I think it'd be cool. I think it'd be funny. I think it'd be great for the memes. Um, it's got next to no chance of actually happening. 
No, nah, no way. No way. But I don't think so, at least. But like if he if if you learn tomorrow that the Mets signed him and the years don't matter, money doesn't matter, we've established all of that. If you if you found out that he was on their roster, would you not be stoked? I I would be a little happy, yeah. He's probably I, the best outfielder left on the market. Yeah, with yeah, Brantley left today. I mean, yeah, Brandon Drury, if you want to call him an outfielder, he's really probably not an outfielder, but Dom Smith. He's <laughs> certainly not an outfielder. I it's confu- I mean it's confusing, first of all, because he didn't play this year. Yeah. So who knows really what he's gonna be, but yeah, it's uh I'm conflicted about it because on one end, I do not think he wants to come back. And so every time there's report that, oh, the Mets are interested in Michael Conforto, the way I picture that is uh, Billy Epler calling up Scott Boris and saying, hey, hey, Scott's Billy, um, Michael Conforto, no, Billy, he doesn't want to come back to the Mets, sorry. End of the phone call. Well, yeah, it's like how I'm interested in Michael Conforto, you know? Yeah. So it's weird to me that they're like telegraphing interest and that they're one of the teams involved or whatever. Yeah. In that now with the Astros having re-signed Michael Brantley probably puts them out of the equation for him too. So who knows who's actually left? I mean, the Yankees maybe, the Rangers maybe, who knows? But the Mariners maybe, who knows? Again, who knows? I don't know. I, I certainly don't. Mariners uh, could be fun for him. I don't know. I mean... Hometown team. It's, there's, it's just, really unknown. I'm, I'm conflicted because... I personally do not get the vibe that he really had any, when he was initially a free agent, that he had any interest in coming back. And at the time I really wanted him to because I really enjoyed Michael Conforto when he was at his best, you know, like who didn't, I just don't, I'm conflicted about, I'm just conflicted because I don't think he wants to come back. I'm not sure the kind of player he is now. And it would be weird it would feel kind of weird. Yeah. Given the the drama of it all the last couple of years with him. But you know, my re- response to that would be well, first of all, my response to and like look, I'm not I'm not Michael Conforto. I'm not his shrink. I'm not his family. I don't know like what he thinks, but you leave the Mets after a 2021 season where You had, like, Marcus Stroman posting about the team on social media. Uh, You had Zach Scott throwing everybody under the bus when the team didn't do well. Uh, You basically did not have a hitting coach. Um, You had a manager that didn't really have a whole lot of credibility um, as a manager the way, like, Buck Showalter does. And I really like Luis Rojas, but that's who he was, and that's part of why the Mets moved on from him is because it just wasn't a fit. The Mets have changed a lot since since Michael Conforto first rejected the qualifying offer, and I don't really know if you can honestly look at them if you're Michael Conforto and see the same exact organization. Um, so I hang my hat on that a little bit in hopes that maybe like he will come around to the idea that that's changed at all. Right, but Jacob Degrom still wanted to leave. Yeah, but Jacob Degrom is like a a, a very specific case study of human being. You know what I mean? He's got That's his own – he's got all of his own little, like, absurdities about him. I don't know if – There are parallels with him and Conforto if we want to get 
I won't. I won't elaborate. I won't elaborate on it. You know the parallels. I don't know anything. I'm. I'm. I'm totally uh, ignorant to what this is. But sure. Uh, but also like okay, fair about Degrom. But also consider like the drama that happened was like. I mean, look, the last year that he was a Met was an ugly season. Uh for reasons that weren't all his fault. Cause I remember he was dealing with injuries and he never really got a chance to like get back in sync. Um, his on base percentage was still relatively like decent compared to his average. Like but the, he just had no power. Um, it was not good for him. It was not good for the fans. It sucked. Uh, there was a lot of bitterness. I think there was a lot of who needs you. Um, I think it would just be really, really, it would be a great story, uh, and it would be sort of a new kind of arc uh, for us as Met fans to have someone come back on those kinds of terms and perform really, really well. And I, when I would watch Conforto perform well, it, I, I'm sure you remember like how good he was in 2019 even and 2020 and just thinking like, wow, like this dude has such a nice swing. If he goes to another team that knows how to develop him, he'll hit 40 home runs like Again, things have changed, but things have also changed for the Mets. I think it could be an interesting little reunion. And uh, look, I mean, you want someone better than Tyler Naquin. You're worried about giving Mark Hanna everyday playing time. This is a decent candidate for that kind of role. And he's easily the best, I think, at least among like, sure, Brandon Drury might be up there. You take Brandon Drury out of the equation. There is simply no one remotely in the picture who I would want other than Michael Conforto as a, as a left-handed bat Mancini might be good. Right. But like, uh, I think if there's a fit, that's not, I agree with you Conforto on paper, especially with the Mark Hanna thing. If you don't want to give him every day at bats is a fit. Uh, I think that beyond that, if they are just looking for like a true fourth outfielder, someone to fortify the bench, add a little bit of power on the bench, someone who can play all three outfield spots, but not necessarily a starter. It's probably Adam Duvall. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't think, I don't see Trey Mancini as a fit because he can't really play the outfield anymore. Or Robbie Grossman, maybe. That could work. Yeah, I also don't think Robbie Grossman's a very good player. I know he had some big moments for the Braves, but he overall wasn't that good. I, I don't know. I, I don't think know. Conforto I is like, a guy like, that yeah. you think about, potentially. Look, and I'm just a fan. I'm not in the front office, but... If it happens, it happens, and it'll be cool. If if it happens, it happens. It'll be nice to see him in Mets colors again, and hopefully he plays well and earns whatever contract he's going to get, um, even if it's a one-year deal. like Maybe he does just take a one-year deal, come yeah. back to the Mets. The Mets are uh, changing the stadium to be a little more friendly to left-handed hitters. You know, mm-hmm. who never know, whoever knows what happens. Uh, it'll be fun to see the kid who hit two World Series home runs in one game as a rookie, first-round draft pick. It'll be cool to see him in Mets colors again. I still don't think it happens, but if it does, I'll, you know, I'll obviously root for him. I have no problem with that, but we'll see how it shakes out. Yeah. Yeah, we will. That, what that translates to though, is we'll find out at 9am tomorrow before we upload our thing that, uh, Michael Conforto is a Los Angeles Dodger. So <laughs> yeah, as it, as it so often happens with this podcast, that 12 hour window yeah, that posting. that Nimmo D Rob thing was like Haley's comet. Like, I don't know if we're ever gonna get something like that again. That was amazing. 
Pirates traded for Connor Joe while we were recording. Today. Oh, did they? Yeah. I don't know what the Rockies are doing. I guess Joe like didn't end up being as good. I remember people being really high on him at the beginning of the year, and he had a good start, but didn't really like his power didn't really materialize. Um, we are so not getting into the Connor Joe of it all. No, we're not. An hour and twenty minutes into this episode. No, we're not. We're definitely not. Good luck to the Pirates. I don't know. Building an entire roster of first basemen. Why don't you? Why don't you pay someone, Bob Nutting? Why don't we put a pin in it? Yeah, for this week. Unless you have anything more to add, I mean. No, no. I, I an hour twenty is a good place for this. I'm not adding an hour twenty to talk about Bob Nutting because I would. Yeah, I've, among the list of uh, guys who aren't trying is the Pittsburgh Pirates, but not a Pirates podcast, and we've uh, probably exhausted everything generally about the Mets that we wanted to chat about today and Carlos Correa and Kodai Senga Francisco Alvarez in his place now with Omar Narvaez and Omar Narvaez in his place on the Mets now that he's a Met so pretty good place to stop again this was episode 106 so if you're new to the podcast if you want to go back if you want to listen to our takes on anything that's happened in the last two plus years in Mets land you got 105 other episodes to listen to feel free to go back take a listen uh but for this week Hope you guys enjoyed. Give us a follow on Twitter at the PGE Pod. We posted a meme yesterday. Um, it was it was we thought it was funny. You guys thought it was okay. Uh, some people thought it was funny, but it didn't really do that well. So who, who you know whatever. Um, go go back and take a look at that. It's about the catching situation. But he's Jack Hendon. I'm Sam Lovitz. This one's in the books. And Mets fans, have a pleasant week. Thank you.